We've been set free because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So today our sermon title is Independence slash Dependence. Who do you submit to? You see, tomorrow we'll be celebrating our nation's passage of the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain by the Continental Congress back in 1776. Anybody here this morning that was part of that Continental Congress? So on this Sunday before July the 4th, I thought it would be fitting to consider the freedom and the independence that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus. And that's why I love this video that Nate provided for us this morning. Because it reminds me of Paul's letter to the church in Rome as he speaks of our freedom in Jesus. In chapter 8, he highlights that the gospel of Jesus Christ makes possible a brand new way of life for the believer. A life lived abundantly in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have the freedom from sin and death and hell and the grave. And we have the freedom to live life victoriously and abundantly because of Jesus. So we're no longer bound. We're no longer in chains. Our chains are gone. We have been set free from the weight and the penalty and the punishment of our sin to live abundantly and victoriously because of Jesus. So today we're going to jump down to chapter 13 of his letter to the church in Rome. And you're going to notice in just a moment as we look at this passage that Paul right off the bat in verse 1 says this, Let every soul be subject or submission to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Hmm. Hmm. Ponder that. Let's consider the definition of submission. Paul is actually using a legal term here, a legal agreement to submit to the decisions of authorities. Another definition is the condition of being submissive, humble, or compliant. Another definition would be an act of submitting to the authority or control of another. So let me ask you this morning, who governs your life? Who do you submit to? Because if you're not in submission to someone God has placed in authority over you, then we have to ask ourselves, are we submissive to God either? You see, God established three institutions. He, he established the home in Genesis 2. He established the government in Genesis 9. He established the church in Acts 2. And in all three of these institutions, there is someone who is an authority, someone you and I are to be in submission to. So who do we submit to? Look at the first slide. Are you governed by the president of the United States? Are you subject or in submission to the government? Now, I'm not asking if you like the man or his character or his personality or his policies. If we live long enough, we will experience a president that we don't necessarily like or agree with. But just in a few moments, Paul is going to challenge us to submit to the government that has been ordained 
by God. The government has been ordained by God to provide us with guidelines, parameters, and laws to live by in order that we might live peaceable and honorable lives. Can we agree on that? Obviously, God has not ordained the man, Joe Biden, into the gospel ministry, but he has ordained the system that we call government to provide law and order to our lives. And that's why Pastor James challenged us last week to respect the title, to respect the position that God has ordained. So regardless of my thought about the candidate, whether or not he won or didn't win, or if the election was fixed, I am still obligated to be subject in submission to President Joe Biden's authority. And folks, I've got to tell you, that's not easy when we disagree on so many policies that go against our beliefs. But it's a biblical mandate, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So if you're not willing to be governed by the president, what about the polar opposite politically in our state governor? Republican Glenn Youngkin defeated Democrat Terry McAuliffe in the last Virginia governor's race. And he and the president differ, don't they? Differ on gun control, the economy, national security, international relations, partnerships, abortion. And so while we find it easier to submit to his authority because we are in agreement with many of his policies, they line up closer to Scripture. Based on Paul's letter, we should submit to those who are in authority to us, and that would be the president and the governor because they have been given the authority. Now, who else do we submit to? If we look on the state level, here are people that... Um, we submit to our state delegate, Lee Ware. Many of you know him. State Senator Gazala Hashmi, U.S. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, U.S. Senator Tim Kaine, U.S. Senator Mark Warner. Now, instead of not submitting to their authority, maybe we need to earnestly pray for them, right? Maybe we need to speak truth and love to them. Maybe that's a letter. Maybe that's an email. Maybe that's a petition. Maybe that's to vote biblical convictions in our democratic process. But nonetheless, God's Word tells us that we are to submit. We have local government. We live in a beautiful county, don't we? Just west of Richmond, the state capital. We have elected officials, representatives that guide us. We have the Commonwealth Attorney, Richard Cox, our county sheriff, Brad Nunnally, clerk of the court, Teresa Dobbins, County Treasurer Rebecca Nunley, Commissioner of the Revenue Jamie Timberlake. We have people that are in authority over us. What about family? Who do you submit to in your family? Look at this picture. Yeah, this is my wife. And she will tell you that she is subject or submissive unto me. Her husband is a spiritual leader of our home. But I have to tell you <laughs> that I rely on her for guidance, too. There's a mutual surrender to each other, and I'm accountable to her. And there are times that I submit because she's right. Well, she has been right once <laughs> when she said, I do, to me. Actually, Jan is a psychology major, and I think she pulls stuff over on me all the time. <clears throat> she knows what makes me tick. She knows the way to my heart. And that's why you could find me at Chuck E. Cheese yesterday with the grandkids. 
that's really who governs our life. But who governs you in the life of the church? Who are you submissive to at Red Lane Baptist Church? Or do you think God has called you to be in charge? Biblically, he's called a pastor to shepherd and lead us. And as Pastor James is under the authority of God and his word, we are to submit to his authority over us. And there are other leaders that God has called out to serve among us, like elders and small group leaders and ministry team leaders and deacons, etc. So you see, God has ordained these systems, the government, the family, the church, to be in authority over us, to provide discipline and peaceable and godly lives. So if you're thinking to yourself, no one can tell me what to do but God. No one governs me. I'm submitting to no one. Then Paul has a thing or two to tell us today. But are we ready to hear it? Well, I'm going to read it, okay? It's Romans 13. So let's begin with verse 1. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Paul says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror of good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But instead, let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Why? are we to submit to the authority over us? From this passage, let me suggest four reasons to you this morning. I think in your bulletin there are blanks, so let's fill in the blanks. First of all, we submit for anger's sake. As we look at verses 1 through 4, for wrath's sake. It is God who has established the governments of the world. This doesn't mean that he is responsible for the sins of the dictators over the years, but the authority to rule comes from God. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn this the hard way. 
To resist the law is to resist the God who established the law, who established the government. And if you do, this means that you're asking for punishment. You're asking for the consequences of your sin, not following the law. And that's why God has established government in the first place. It was our resistance to the law and our sin that caused him to realize that we needed someone to have authority over us. God has given the sword to those who rule, and with that comes the authority to to punish and also to execute if necessary. So while we might not respect the man that's in the office, we must respect the office because government was ordained by God. Paul goes on to say, even if the government official is not a believer, even if they're not Christian, they're still ministers of God because God established the authority and gave it to them. Verse 4 says, For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, do we want government to be angry with us because we haven't followed the law? No. Neither do we want God to be angry with us because we have sinned against him. So Paul says, submit to those who are in authority over you for anger's sake, for the fear of punishment. Secondly, we submit for conscience' sake in verses 5 through 7. And this is when the motivation to submit gets even greater. We can obey the law because of the fear of punishment, but a Christian ought to obey because of their conscience. Now, if government interferes with conscience, I want you to hear this, if government interferes with conscience, then the believer must obey God and not man. Acts 5.29 very clearly states that. But when the law is right, Christians must obey it if they want to have a good conscience. Let me give you an illustration. There was a recent post of a city that had investigated some tax fraud And they announced that there were several citizens who were going to be indicted for tax evasion. But they didn't release the names of the criminals. And so guess what happened? That week, a good number of folks visited City Hall to straighten out the taxes. And guess what? Many of them were not even on the indicted list. But why did they do that? Because they felt guilty. Their conscience bothered them to the point that they wanted to make it right. And when our conscience bothers us, we can't live with, our, with ourselves until we make things right. Now, verse 7 commands us to pay what we owe. That includes taxes, and that includes revenue. That includes respect and honor. So if we don't pay our taxes, we show disrespect to the law, to the officials, and to the Lord. And if we are believers, this should bother our conscience. We might not agree with the tax rate. There are many proponents of a flat tax, and we might not agree on where our tax dollars are going, but we can't violate our conscience by refusing to pay what is due. So submit to those in authority for conscience sake. Where are we? Number three, we submit for love's sake. Love's sake in verses 8 through 10. So Paul says this submission thing is not just for government officials. It's for other people, too. He says, love one another. It's the basic principle of our Christian life. It is the new commandment that Jesus gives to us in John 13, verse 34. When we practice love, 
there is no need for other laws because love covers it all, right? If we love others, we'll not sin against them. It's just that simple. So this explains why the Ten Commandments are referred to so seldom in the New Testament. As believers, we do not live under the law. We live under grace. So our motive for obeying God and helping others should be the love of Christ that is in us. Paul says to the church, O man, nothing. Don't owe man anything. He's referring to believers' financial practices. Yes, he is. Some people believe that he does. But it's also sin debt that he's speaking of. The Bible does not forbid you from borrowing or, or from legal financial transactions if you're paying back with interest. What the Bible does forbid is for charging high interest or robbing your brothers and sisters or failing to pay honest debt. And so Matthew 25, 27 and Luke 19, 23 indicate that banking and investing for gain, there's nothing wrong with that. And certainly no one wants to go in unnecessary debt or sign agreements that you can't keep. We've learned that from financial peace, right, in our study right here at Red Lane. So in these verses, Paul is centering on the very heart of the problem. You know what the heart of the problem is? The heart, the human heart, because the heart is sinful. God established government. We know that the laws cannot change the heart. It might change the behavior, but only God can change the heart. Let me say that again. Laws cannot change the heart. It might change the behavior, but only God can change the heart. That would be a good place for an amen. So Paul says, submit because of love. If you love the Lord and you love others, you'll not sin against them, just quite simply. Finally, number four, we submit for Jesus' sake. Why submit to the government? Well, we said for anger's sake. We said for conscience' sake, for love's sake. And now Paul says we submit because of our devotion to the Lord Jesus. Now, the emphasis here is on his imminent return, Christ's return. And, of course, that could be at any time. We don't know when he's going to return or when he might call us home. But as believers, <clears throat> we want to be found faithful when he returns. The completion of our salvation is near. The light is dawning. The day is fast approaching. And so Paul simply says to us this morning, be ready. Paul gave several admonitions in these verses in light of the Lord's return. He said, in light of the Lord's return, I think Paul would be saying to us, wake up, clean up, and grow up. Wake up, clean up, and grow up. And we'll be looking at these verses, but let me give you some scripture references here. When it comes to wake up, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, 1 through 13. When it comes to clean up, 1 John 2, 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. Then growing up, Romans chapter 13, verse 14. So Paul is saying, in light of the Lord's return, it's time to wake up. Wake up. Don't keep sleeping. Stop hitting the snooze button. It's time to get up. It's time to be watchful. It's time to be ready. The Lord could return at any moment. Do you believe that? So it's time to wake up. Then I think he says it's time to clean up. Now, I don't know about you, but how do we clean up? How do we unclutter or declutter? We get rid of some things, right? 
We throw some things out, but then we put on the essentials. We put on our best. So we get rid of some things. Paul says, put off these things like revelry and drunkenness. Today, that would be known as partying. The Greek word actually means feast and drinking parties that last uh, to the wee hours of the night into the early mornings. Maybe that's what people are doing on the 4th of July weekend. It's a long weekend. That could be happening. He says, put off that. Put off lewdness and lust, which is immorality. Lewdness literally means to take what takes place in a bed, and it's linked to the word for uncontrolled sexual lust. So therefore, it refers to any kind of sex outside of marriage, anything that would be harmless to marriage. The second word for lust refers to unbridled lust or excessive shameless behavior that would shock normal public decency, including such things as adultery, homosexuality, sexual sins most would find offensive. Paul says, put off those things. You want to declutter? You want to clean up? Put off those things. Put off strife and envy, which is quarreling. Envy or jealousy causes rivalry, competition. And I know it's shocking, but it's common among Christians. It's common among church folks. Paul says to put off these things. So it's time to wake up. It's time to clean up. And he says it's time to grow up. And this is what he says. Now put on these things. Now that you have put off these things, now put on the armor of light. In verse 12, light represents two things in Scripture, truth and righteousness. So we're to put on at least two weapons of light. And we know light is God's Word. It is truth. It is the sword of the Spirit. And we are to read it and believe it and speak it and stand on it. Secondly, righteousness. Put on righteousness. Right living, godly living, Christian character. Put on, finally, he says, put on the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying that too often Jesus is not very visible to others on the outside of our lives. So he is urging believers to put on Christ in the sense of manifesting Jesus outwardly. Wear Christ like you wear a suit of clothes. Let people see Jesus on you and in you. Don't you think the Lord is saying this morning through Paul, no wonder the world is so upside down. No wonder the world sees what is good as bad and what is bad as good. No wonder sin no longer affects the conscience. Paul would say that we have a heart problem. We have a submission problem. We're not living a disciplined life. We're not living under authority. Whose authority should we be living under? Do we submit to God? Do we submit to the government? Do we submit to family? Do we submit to the church? Paul says we should. For anger's sake, for conscience' sake, for love's sake, and for Jesus' sake. As believers, we want to be found faithful until he returns. On this eve of our country's anniversary as an independent nation, consider this thought this morning. We live in a free country. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that we have this freedom. I'm thankful for the forefathers and those who have gone to fight for this freedom that we have. We have the independence to depend on God and submit to his will and way. You see, God created us in his image. 
but he gave us free will. And in our independence, we sinned against God and we fell short of his glory. He reconciled us back into a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. He set us free from sin, death, hell, and the grave. He has given us abundant life and eternal life. And yet the Lord still gives us the independence, the free will to depend on him and submit to his authority, his will and way for our lives. But let's face it. We want to be independent people, don't we? We think we know what's best for us. We want things our way. And that's why God uses the government and the family and the church to provide the guidelines and the rules and the discipline necessary for us to take up our cross daily and to follow him and to follow his word and to follow his authority. So we do have independence. You and I have independence this morning to depend on God or to depend on ourselves. And I don't know about you, but his ways are higher than my ways. He knows what's best for me. And I want to submit to his will and way. I wonder if there's someone here this morning needing to trade their independence for dependence on God. He's the one you can depend on. He is faithful and true. He is faithful and good. Why would you depend? Why would you let your life depend on man or circumstances or leave it up to chance when you can depend on the Lord Jesus? Would you pray with me? Lord, I am grateful this morning to be at Red Lane Baptist Church, to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth, to have that freedom to gather together to worship, to read your word, to hear your word, to allow it to penetrate not only our ears, but our minds and even our heart. I have to say this morning as I'm thinking about celebrating tomorrow our country's independence and what that means. We indeed have been granted so many freedoms. But this morning, I think Paul is probably saying to us, we have that freedom, we have that independence to depend on God. And he's provided his word for us to lead and guide us. He's provided earthly authority to set the parameters that's necessary for us to live peaceable and godly lives. And maybe there's someone here this morning who's really never, ever depended on Jesus for the first time. Maybe they've been depending on man. Maybe they've been depending on themselves. And today they're willing to say, I'm trading my independence in And I'm trusting and depending on Jesus. When we think about Independence Day, really, as believers, we have to be thinking about the independence and the freedom that we have because of Jesus. And we're grateful.
today, maybe there are believers here who've said, you know, I, I, I have trusted Jesus with my life, but maybe it hasn't been wholeheartedly. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning, small groups. What does wholehearted mean? It's not half-hearted, it's not three-quarters hearted, but it's wholeheartedly. Lord, I want to surrender to your authority and the means by which you have provided for me on earth to live this disciplined life. So maybe fresh anew today, on the eve of Independence Day, we're independent to depend on the Lord Jesus. May it be so. May our dependence be on you, not on man, we pray. Lord, have your will and way this morning. Help us to respond in obedience to you. Help us to be in agreement with your word. Help us to be obedient to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.